figure out how to preach just from the swimming pool. We would, I don't know if you could endure the sauna, right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> but uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. What we're going to be looking at today is, in Acts chapter 8, it centers on four people. So the four people, we might call them the stumbling block, the sold out, the swindler, and then the seeker. And we're going to look at those four people and some the significance of what each of them um, play even in our own lives. So as we begin chapter 8, the persecution of the church has increased. We have seen this, uh, you know, increasing as we progress through uh, the book of Acts. But at this point, the, it has, uh, has increased to a whole new level. Uh, so much so that people in the church are, uh, are saying, we've got to get out of Jerusalem. We've got to, we've got to go somewhere and get, a, get out of, this, get out of this, uh, this area. And keep in mind that as the persecution increases, the church is now motivated uh, to leave Jerusalem to escape that persecution. But as a result, they're taking the gospel with them. So they're taking the gospel with them, and they're, they're letting other people know and sharing uh, the gospel uh, with others. So let's jump in. Let's jump in with key point number one, and then we'll unpack it from uh, Acts chapter 8. Key point number one this morning is this. Saul was a stumbling block, and God still used him. Saul was a stumbling block, and God still used him. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 8, we're going to read the first three verses to start with. Now Saul was consenting to his death, talking about Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now we're going to pause there just for a moment um, because I want to I I give a quick working definition of, of what I mean by stumbling block. In a broad sense, when we call Saul a stumbling block, in a broad sense, the definition is anything, any obstacle that hinders progress. That's the, that's the broad definition. The Bible uses the term to refer to anything or anyone that um, attempts to hinder the gospel from moving forward. So if, if a person makes a decision, they can become a, a stumbling block. They're trying to, to do something to either prevent it or sometimes uh, just their actions can, can become a stumbling block. But the book of Acts is even, and, and even some of the, book, the, the, the epistles that were written by Paul, they provide us with a really strong biography of the background of what, what Paul's life was like before he accepted Christ. So Saul, what that was like. In fact, let me give you a little bit about his biography, his, his resume, if you will. Some of the things that we know about him from Scripture. We know in Acts 22 that he was born of Tarsus uh, in Cilicia. He was described as a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, what does that mean, you know, Hebrew of Hebrews? Here's the idea. He, is, he can say, I can trace my lineage back 
uh, so far that every single person in my, in my lineage, both mom's side and dad's side, are Hebrew. I mean, it's a Hebrew of Hebrews. It is a history of Hebrews. They not, not a single on maternal or paternal side, neither side married, ever married a Gentile. It's Hebrew of Hebrews. And that was a, a, a point of pride in his life. He was a son of a Pharisee. His, his dad uh, was a Pharisee. Uh, he was a Roman citizen. He was extremely well educated. He was taught in Jerusalem uh, and, and mentored and, and taught by Gamaliel. Uh, he was a devoted Pharisee. And he, considered, he was considered to have lived a life that was blameless in light of the law. So you might say, if you looked at that resume, you might say he is a up-and-coming, rising superstar among the Jewish people, right? I mean, he has a, an incredible, impressive resume. When it came to Christians, when we look at his life before Christ, before he accepted Christ, there were three more things on his resume. Those three things we actually find in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Here's what it says. This is Paul describing himself. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. There's three more things that he's added to his resume, but these are not good things at all. The first one, blasphemer, right? What, what exactly, what is he saying there? Because if you had asked Saul, he would say, that's the furthest thing. That's not what he is at all. But after he came to Christ, he said, that's exactly who I was. What does he mean by that? It means that he rejected Christ as the Messiah. It meant that, it meant that he, had, he wanted nothing to do with Christ. And as a result, he would describe himself as a blasphemer. Then you have persecutor. We've seen that as we've been reading through the book of Acts. He's a persecutor. He persecuted the church. He wanted, to, he wanted to be a stumbling block to the church, right? He wanted to do everything that he could to prevent the gospel from going forward. And then he describes himself as an insolent man. Insolent. Now, you know, when we typically think of that word, insolent, we might typically think of someone who is rude and arrogant. I mean, that might be the first words that come to mind. You know, say, oh, he's, an, he's an insolent man means he's rude or arrogant. In the Greek, even though we translate it as insolent, in the Greek word, it's more than that. It's not just that he was rude. It's not just that he was arrogant. It also carries the connotation that he was violent with that. So he wasn't just rude, wasn't just arrogant. He was violent, a violently rude and arrogant man. And that's the description of Saul when it came to Christians. And we see that, right? We see that in the persecution of the church. He was violent. He was, he was consenting to the death of, of Stephen. He was, he was willing to travel to wreak havoc on the church. He was an arrogant, rude, violent man. Now, this type of resume would, you look at all of that, and that would make him what? The least likely person that anyone would ever pick to become the apostle to Gentiles. <laughs> right? I mean, this is the Hebrew of Hebrews. This is the guy who follows the law to a T. This is the guy who, you know, was very prideful in who he was. Surely he would never even hang out with a 
Gentile, right? I mean, he, he would be the least likely person that we would ever pick. So how do we think about that? The fact that God chose him tells me this, that God does not look upon our resume in the same way that we do or in the same way that we think others do. God doesn't look at the things that we do the same way that we do. God doesn't look at our history, he doesn't look at our past, and doesn't look at all the things that we've done and see us, uh, and see our resume and say, uh, you're outside the scope of the mercy of God. Because I want you to consider that. I want you to know that no matter how bad your resume is, no matter what you've done, no matter what's in your past, no matter, no matter how violent you've been, no matter how rude you've been, no matter how arrogant you've been, no matter if you've been a blasphemer, no, no, even if you've been a stumbling block to the church, do you realize that you're not outside the scope of God's mercy? Is that not incredible? I mean, all of those things are descriptors of Saul, and yet God says, no, I know that that's on your resume. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully aware that that's on your resume. Can you imagine? Now, by the way, I'm not looking for another church to serve, but can you imagine if I, if I were interviewing at a church, and I, and I brought in a resume, and then I said, well, this is, this is on my resume. We're like, what? You're all these things? Well, I used to be. I used to be all of those things. Those are the things that sometimes, sometimes we see those things and, and it would say, well, I, you know, that's not someone I would pick that God could use. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that not only are we not outside the scope of God's mercy, that if God can some, use someone who's a blaspheming, persecuting, someone who describes himself even as an arrogant and violent man, if God can use someone like that with that type of past, then he can use you. He can use me. And we might be tempted to even think this. We might be tempted to think, well, if I get those things fixed, if I, if I, if I clean up myself a little bit first, then I, I, I might consider accepting Christ. But I want you to understand this. Saul didn't clean, clean himself up first. Saul was on his way to persecute more Christians. That's what he was doing. He was en route to wreak havoc. He was in the midst of being an insolent man. I mean, he was in process of this rude, arrogant, violent man, and in the very process of on his way to do those things, Jesus appears to him, and he has a life-changing moment. Sometimes I think that, that's, that many of us have this concept, this idea of, well, I've got to fix these things myself first. No, Jesus says, you can come to me even in the midst of doing those things. And I want you to know that you're not outside the scope of my mercy. Even if you've done some terrible things, what an incredible God we serve.